This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who's strapped in the chair of the city's gas chamber. Here is the captain. Let me tell you, it's pretty comfortable. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are featuring a great beer from one of our many great travels. How about a little Space Camper Cosmic IPA from the great brewers over at Boulevard Brewing Company in Kansas City, Missouri. It doesn't have to be a Red Friday to get down in a great town with a great beer. This is a delicious IPA, ABV 5.9% garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thank you to some of our good friends for helping us out with this week's beer run. First up, a big cheers to Vanessa Bailey in beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we also have Maureen from Deuceman, Wisconsin. Both Maureen and Vanessa went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and donated to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you support the show by signing up on our mailing list and go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really does help the show. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. When we left off yesterday, Captain, unfortunately, the body of five-year-old Nevaeh Buchanan had been located this after less than two weeks of looking for the missing girl. Now, even before her body was found, police already had persons of interest, and these persons of interest were announced within the one within the first 24 hours and the second within the first 48 hours of the little girl missing. So let's get into these two 
individuals, shall we? Because these are both people that had some kind of relationship with the mother, with Nevaeh's mother, and we're a little unclear what the current state of the relationships were at the time that Nevaeh went missing. But we have to look at these people. These are persons of interest per the sheriff. So the first guy that we will discuss is George Kennedy. Again, the current status of their relationship between him and Jennifer is a little unclear. But per CNN, Jennifer said that she had met George two years earlier while reporting to her probation officer. So this is always a good place to find a date. Convenient. She said that her relationship with George was that they were just friends. She said that they haven't officially dated for over a year and a half before Nevaeh went missing but they remain friends after they were dating. Jennifer says, I'm not a judgmental person, so I looked over his sex offenses, but at the same time, I still kept my guards up on that. She said that George had a good relationship upon my daughter as a father figure, always there for her. She says if he came around, she'd see him and she'd run up to him and hug him. So to quote the church lady, well, is it that special? A female child hugging a sex offender and the mom treating him like some kind of special person in her child's life. Well, when she says, well, I always kept my guards up. Here's how you keep your guards up, people. Don't have that person be involved in your life or your child's life. Yeah, and it gets even worse. I mean, we have Jennifer on record saying that all three of our relationship together was like a family. He, George Kennedy, claimed Nevaeh as his daughter, Jennifer says. She says that he was in my daughter's life for more than her own father. Yeah. And I don't know. I I see the situation and I look at it and I go, all right. So Jennifer, mom, or, or who was supposed to be mom here, Sherry should get credit as mom because she's doing the motherly duties and, and actually caring for the child and providing a shelter and food right. for Nevaeh. But Jennifer who is supposed to be mom is she's essentially facilitating grooming of her own child to a known sex offender. That's the risk here. Well, she has one, a bad picker. She's selfish. She's looking at her needs above her family's needs, above her daughter's needs. It's uh, pretty pathetic. She says in her own defense that she was unaware of his sex offender status at the time that they started dating. But of course she came, became aware of that at some point. So you can very quickly push the guy away and say, no, thank you. Um, which she did not do. Now she says they remain friends that they weren't in any kind of romantic relationship at this point. But the thing that, that really pisses me off here is when I hear statements like this, Jennifer's telling media outlets, she told many media outlets this, that she She's trying to paint herself as some kind of good person. She's saying, I believe in giving people second chances. Well, good for you, lady. How about giving your daughter the first chance by, I don't know, not making her be in the company of sex offenders. Right. So when Nevaeh was taken, George Kennedy was living in a Monroe motel room where he had apparently been staying for about a month. He's keeping it classy. And... WTOL 11 news, they were able to get their hands on a search warrant that was for Kennedy's motel room. Remember he's named as a person of interest and picked up within 24 hours of the little girl going missing. Now 
they are asking a judge if they can search this motel room. A search is granted and the news station gets their hand on the search warrant. So we know what they were looking for. We know some of the things that they found. So according to that search warrant, shorts and a towel were found with blood on them. In addition, there was blood staining on the wall above the bathroom sink in the hotel room. Property was searched and some was seized from the room. The Monroe County Sheriff named Kennedy as a person of interest, but the warrant also covered a search of a vehicle. I want to be clear here. I said a vehicle. This vehicle is believed to be been driven by George Kennedy. In that vehicle, in the center console of this is a van, there was a JVC radio face case found to have contained a silver multi-tool. We don't get an exact name brand or, or an exact description, but it's listed as a silver multi-tool, which they state appeared to have blood on the exterior of this tool. A preliminary examination confirmed that the blood was human, that the blood that they found was to human blood. Also found were photos of young girls, one of whom reportedly resembled Nevaeh. Well, if you're law enforcement, you have to be hopeful with the evidence that you are finding. Something else that was very disturbing that was reportedly found in the motel room were three shiny metal matchbox style mini motorcycle toys Mm -hmm. were found in his room. These would be exactly the kind of toy that Nevaeh would want to play with or did play with. Well, again, law enforcement has to be excited, but you have to do your due diligence and you have to make sure that this evidence checks out and it's actually evidence in this case. But that's not all. The warrant also states that police questioned two children who were outside playing with Nevaeh on the day she disappeared. This is really interesting stuff here. These were two kids, ages six and ages eight, who were biking and scootering and hanging out in the parking lot of the complex with Nevaeh as close to her disappearance as we can come up with because the warrant states that this was around 6.30 p.m. that Sunday night that she went missing. Again, as you pointed out a few times, Captain, and rightfully so, we don't know exactly when she went missing. But one of these kids, one of these witnesses, was a girl who told the cops that Nevaeh went into the woods to meet up with a man named Daddy George. And the boy witness said that Nevaeh was kidnapped by, quote, a bad man and that the bad man stabbed her in the stomach. Now, of course, we don't have any evidence to suggest that the girl was stabbed at all. So it's difficult when you're interviewing children. It's it's difficult really to interview any type of witness, uh, eyewitness, as they often will make mistakes. But especially here, you wonder, is, is the boy... So the boy mentioned in the warrant was, for those of you who are paying close attention to the case, you guessed it correctly, this was Nevaeh's friend Austin, the one that she was playing with earlier on the afternoon that she went missing. We know based off of the autopsy that it was determined that Nevaeh died from aspirating dirt, not stabbing. So you have to wonder, is this kid just, did he hear some kind of rumor or see something on TV that he was afraid of? And when police are probing him for information, does he just recite something he saw on TV or recite something that he heard was maybe a, 
speculation of people because the people in the neighborhood, the people in the apartment complex are going to be talking while this girl is missing. Well, and poor kid, you know, he has to answer these questions from law enforcement. He's probably scared half to death and he probably misses his his buddy. The other thing that is interesting, though, too, here is that Austin's mother goes on record and she says, look, I know that he said that she was stabbed. But what my son is saying is factually not true. It's factually incorrect. So I don't know if she's basing this statement off of the autopsy findings or if she is saying, you know, he couldn't have seen this because I was with him in that 630 time period. He was not out of my sight. He He didn't see anything that I would not have seen. But the Daddy George thing is weird because... Mom, Jennifer, says that there was some kind of family-type relationship between the three of them, so it wouldn't be completely out of the question if Nevaeh was calling this man Daddy George. His first name is George. And then the other disturbing part of this, too, is that that same news outlet that had the information about the search warrant said that George had failed a polygraph examination or failed portions of a polygraph examination this george guy is a real piece of shit crystal coon is austin's mom and she's on record saying that nevea left their apartment at 3 30 or 3 45 p.m that day so maybe that's what she's basing that statement off of that it's not factually true because my son did not see nevea close to the time that she went missing it sounds like, though, and obviously so, that the the rest of the family, maybe not Jennifer, but the rest of the family immediately suspected George. And this is based off of a statement given to ABC News. It says, Nevaeh's family members said that they are even more suspicious now of George Kennedy. He was age 39 at the time. He's a registered sex offender and friend of Jennifer's, of Nevaeh's mother. And Kennedy supposedly worked with cement in the area and didn't live terribly far from or wasn't staying terribly far from where the body was found. Uh, Again, this is according to family statements to the news. Apparently, George worked for a Monroe-based company and dealt with cement in the course of his his job. I don't know exactly what that means, Captain. I don't know if he works for a cement company. I don't know if he just works as like a general laborer in some form of construction. Yeah, he's probably not that high on the totem pole. I think that would be a a little bit more of a likelihood. But the the thing with the the cement or the concrete, and I know I'm going to get an email from somebody that says I'm, I'm using the incorrect term. I understand that there's a difference. I don't know the difference. So don't worry about it. He's not a concrete Um, expert. I don't work in concrete. Never claimed to be. George guy does never claim to be a concrete expert. Here's the problem with the concrete, right? Mm. You can say a guy works with concrete or he's familiar with working with concrete. And so that would make him a good suspect. But at the same time, it doesn't sound like it was properly put together. And so you could, you could use that as the reverse and say, well, it makes him less likely because this person just may not have known what they were doing when they were trying to form this concrete slab. Right. Or like you said, they're in a location that they feel that they have to speed up 
whatever process they're going through, they could have just been rattled, uh, you know, um, go out there to, to dump the body and try not to get caught. And something happens and it rattles you and you have to abort all plans. Now, later, Jennifer, and I'm going to kind of fast track this because people have spent a lot of time analyzing this stuff, and I don't think that it's necessary to the case. But, you know, Jennifer defends George Kennedy for a bit, but then very quickly backtracks on those statements. Well, everybody deserves a second chance. Right. It's a well, and, you know, it's a very bad look for her to be standing up for a registered sex offender. So she goes on record later saying that she wouldn't put it past George and adds more fuel to the fire, major fuel at that, by saying in at least two interviews that it was possible that George Kennedy owed someone money and they took Nevea and hurt her because George was close to her. Eh. Which I think is s- silly because yeah. if if anybody should be looked at, it's George. And that's what the police were doing. Maybe not so much somebody associated with George. Yeah. The, a loser like this, he, he owes you money. You go after him. You hurt him. You don't. Nobody's going to be missing old George Kennedy. No, old Papa George. Old Papa George. All right, Captain. Would you like to hear a rundown of George Kennedy's criminal record? Let's hear all about Papa George. So according to ABC News, in 1998, George Kennedy was charged with a felony for having sex with a girl under the age of 16. I guess that charge was later dismissed according to court records. And we're not going to, we're not going to get into this too much because it's a little confusing, but don't get aggravated just yet because I think this will come around full circle here. In addition to that 1998 charge court records show that in December of 2001, Kennedy was charged with a home invasion and accosting a 13-year-old girl during the course of that home invasion. He took a plea deal for fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct and a misdemeanor charge for accosting children for immoral purposes. He was released on parole in 2007. And again, this is one of those things. I Jennifer says she believes in giving somebody a second chance. Uh, the parole was this guy's second chance. Right. The the state gave him a second chance. You owed him nothing because his second chance was parole, and and part of that parole was that he not be associated with children or not be associated or in relationships with women that have children. Look, and they they make that statement through the law because these guys prey on single mothers because the single mother goes, Oh, well maybe they don't feel that they can do any better than Papa George and he's around and he's helping and, and well, he, he loves my daughter, but it's okay that he has these bad things in the past. I'll keep an eye out on him. I'll make sure you're, you're playing with fire. And uh, that's not a chance I would take with my my children. So it's a little confusing because we say that the the one charge was later dismissed, but we also say that he took a plea deal for fourth degree criminal sexual conduct. I don't know if they were able to plea that charge down to fourth degree criminal sexual conduct. And that's why I said, hold on to your anger for a little bit, because he he, he likely did serve time for that, that it was just the charge was reduced. Now, 
Jennifer on record. And there is, you can find this on YouTube where Jennifer is interviewed by Nancy Grace and Grace gives her the, the business during this interview because Jennifer says that, okay, so that charge that was dismissed or that he pled down to right. was because George Kennedy raped a 15 year old girl behind a gas station. Uh, this in the, in that, uh, area of Monroe, Michigan, right. In Monroe County, Michigan. So he's convicted for that in 2002, but Jennifer says she's trying to defend herself and defend her relationship. One time relationship with George Kennedy by saying, we discussed it. He told me that, so he's 26 at the time of this charge of, of committing this rape. And she says to Nancy Grace, the girl was 15 years old, but it was consensual. The sex act was consensual. And Nancy Grace is very quick to jump in and say, hold on, Jennifer, in that jurisdiction, there is no such thing as consent from somebody that is under the age of 16. It's rape. Get her, Nancy. So good for, good for Nancy to try to straighten out Jennifer. George Kennedy, he is not hiding or ducking from the cameras. He openly gives jailhouse interviews to local news stations and during which he's professing that he's innocent. Uh, he's saying, I didn't take her. I didn't kill her. I have no clue what happened to Nevea. Um, and in fact, he was even interviewed before they even found her body. And he kept saying that, Hey, I'm hoping that they find her alive. I'm still hoping that they find her alive. Now, after additional forensic testing on some of the items that were removed from his motel room, investigators came out to the public and admitted that the blood found on the items there did not match Nevea. So it was human blood, but it did not belong to our victim. Could have just been part of the decor. There's another person of interest that is named. And again, this is very quickly in our case here. And this other man, his name is Roy Lee Smith. This guy, he too has sex offender status. He was also an ex of Jennifer's. He too was named as a person of interest. Now per the Detroit free press, Jennifer said she met Smith through George Kennedy. So this is, this is where this gets really difficult to see past one or both of these guys, right? Right. That, not only did they both have an association with the victim, they both had an association with each other and they're both persons of interest separately or together in this case. Jennifer says that she wasn't specifically aware of Roy's sex offender status. She admitted that she guessed it because of her, because of the association between him and George Kennedy. So she's not aware that he's a sex offender, but says that she says that she suspected him of being a sex offender. I'm not for sure, but I'm just assuming since he's hanging out with Papa George, Papa George likes to hang out with a bunch of creeps. Roy Lee Smith was convicted of third degree criminal sexual conduct for a 1991 rape. And he was also listed as a habitual offender. So he got, they try to give him the maximum here. He was looking at 15 years to 50 to five zero years prison sentence, but he was released from prison in February, 2008. This after serving 15 years for that conviction. Remember what we discussed in the one search warrant. 
you may recall that a van was being driven by George Kennedy that was being searched by police and a bloody tool was removed from that van. Well, this is where things get a little weird too. Roy Smith was the actual owner of that van. That's why I stated earlier that the search warrant didn't say that George Kennedy was the owner of this van. The search warrant said that it is believed that George Kennedy had been driving that van. Roy Smith, the other sex offender, actually owned the van. So these guys are friends, unfortunately. Two terrible guys with sex offender status are chummy. Well, they had a lot in common. That's true. Yeah. And supposedly they had swapped vehicles. They had traded vehicles. Now, this is really weird to a lot of people, but it's not so weird to me. This is something that when I was young, I remember hearing quite a bit that it wasn't uncommon for people, especially when we're talking about vehicles that aren't worth very much or, or, or don't have much of a value to them, right. that it's not uncommon for guys to straight up trade vehicles and just sign off the the slips to the other individual. So one good piece of news though here that comes of this is they had sex offenders parole status, both of these individuals. And what happens here is because they violate that parole, these two aren't just locked up in jail and then interrogated and, and investigated for Nevaeh's homicide. In both instances, judges revoked, retracted their paroles. And so both Kennedy and Smith were sent back to prison, this to finish out their full sentences for those parole violations. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so. 
with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
right, we are back. Papa George, Hotel Motel, Holiday Inn. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to everybody in the back and cheers to everybody in the front. Stop looking at me. Yep. Gross, 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 gross. Uh, this brings us to a third guy that was pulled in by police for questioning in Nevaeh's disappearance and even named as a person of interest. This is James Easter, who was age 64 at the time. Reportedly, he was the subject of a tip that came into police because he was seen often at the apartment complex. And there's some question whether he had registered as a sex offender or he was required to do so. But there's question if he actually did register. Uh, the Detroit Free Press, who did gangbusters work, obviously, on Nevaeh's case, and we've cited them multiple times throughout part one and throughout this episode as well. But they reported that FBI agents knocked on his door and accused him of following Jennifer and Nevaeh home from Kmart. Remember, we said that that day, late that afternoon, Jennifer and Nevaeh walked home from Kmart. Now, this James Easter guy would not have been a person that was known to Jennifer or known to Nevaeh, but he was known to hang out in the area of this apartment complex. And I don't know if there was a witness or somebody that stated that they had seen him following them or watching them, or if this was just a scare tactic to try to present that they may have more information than they actually did and see if he would confess to something. Whatever they have or don't have on this guy, at the very least, they they search his home. And I'm a little confused because there's no mention of a search warrant. So maybe he just openly says, come on in, guys. Go ahead and search my, my home. If so, that shows a level of cooperation that I may not expect from a child killer. But inside his home, they confiscated over 100 porno tapes, uh, pornographic videos, and also his bedspread. Oh, that's disgusting. That is- he was held for questioning for, well, that, that's actually one of the most common things that will be taken from it's somebody's disgusting. home in any kind of case, especially these kinds of cases. He's held for questioning for approximately 12 hours by the FBI. He produces receipts showing his whereabouts on the day that Nevaeh went missing. And so they're forced to let him go because he has receipts that show them where he was, what he was up to. Now, I don't know the details of these receipts. This is unknown. But what we do know is, like an idiot, so he's released on Saturday night on the 30th. He's back at his home around 5 a.m. on Sunday, May 31st. He's in his yard burning items, and these items include receipts, TV dinners, and a sex toy. Well, sex toys make good firewood. I don't know if somebody called the police or if they were surveilling him. I, I suspect they were surveilling him. Yeah. Because he's like mid fire burning this stuff early in the morning. It would have still been dark there. So a neighbor could have spotted it and maybe called it into the fire department or what have you. But He's confronted by police, guns drawn. They're like, get on the ground, dude. And they surround him, get on the ground. They want to know why he's burning stuff. The The FBI's called in to sift through the debris of the fire. They charge him with 
with a very light arson charge, some form of obstruction of justice or or possibly the destruction of possible evidence. It's it's very weird. I don't understand why somebody would take these receipts was it was essentially his get out of jail card. And then later he's being charged with burning them. Yeah, but here's what I wonder. Knowing what I know now, the crime takes place on a Saturday between six o'clock and nine o'clock. I think they're going to look at it was a Sunday. No, I'm just saying hypothetically. Okay. At any time, there's a crime that took place. I think they're going to look at me. I don't think it would be that hard to go to some local businesses and get some bullshit receipts. Hey, I was here Saturday. I got a, a cappuccino and blah, blah, blah. It was around uh, 6.30. I, I don't have my receipt. And they then they look in their computer and, and maybe they find something that's close, close to what I told them and they print out a receipt that has nothing to do with me. Does that make sense? And so it's almost like, did he get all these fake receipts and then when he used them and 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 passed that portion of the test well i better burn them now because if they actually go through with a fine-tooth comb and try to go through all the details i'm going to be busted right and that's what i'm saying that the the burning of these receipts is incredibly suspicious behavior like it's just makes no sense at all especially since they were essentially your get out of jail card. They sent him home. They brought him in for questioning for 12 hours. And because of the receipts sent him home. And then he's like, well, I'm going to burn these now. So incredibly suspicious. I think they were surveilling him. This Easter guy, he's a real dumbass to put it as politely as I can. He talked way too much. Sounds like somebody I know. He, did four interviews that I could find with the newspapers and spoke openly about the case. He openly told the newspapers, I failed portions of a polygraph test. He goes, I I wasn't given the details. I don't know which questions that I failed, but I failed portions of the polygraph test. According to the FBI, that's what they told me anyway. And then they're like, well, what questions did they ask you? And he rattles off a few, you know, like, right. Uh, it, did you do it? Did you abduct her? You know, the typical questions you would expect to hear, but also things like they asked him at one point in the polygraph test, if you had done it, how would you have carried out this crime? Or how do you think the killer carried out this crime? And he goes into like great detail saying, well, if it were me, I would have I would have pulled onto the street, turned on my hazard lights, pretending that I have some kind of problem with my vehicle. Then I would have snuck up on the blind side of the pine trees that are in that area, walked up to where the victim was, and I would have snatched her there. And he even goes into like, that would be a long way to walk. You have to go up past the dumpsters. So clearly he has a a very good understanding of the area in which we believe that Nevaeh was abducted from. He even goes out of his way to say that, you know, the one problem with that area, if you were looking to do something like this, is there were always maintenance people hanging around there. So he's already, he knows where the people would be or where possible witnesses could be. 
Yeah, I mean, very strange. And like like you said, so far we have three suspects that I think you could easily put either one of them at the top of the list. And then this Easter guy just continues to get more strange and more strange. So he's released. Remember they picked him up on these for the burning, for the arson charges. How can we forget him burning his sex toys? He's released from jail on June 1st. And at that time, a district judge said that Easter was no longer a person of interest in Nevaeh's case, which is really interesting to me because I don't know why this judge is declaring this. Is this based off of insufficient evidence to charge him with anything? (laughs) Or because on record, we have local law enforcement saying that we still consider Easter to be a person of interest. A judge kind of publicly declares him as not a POI, but police have never officially or publicly anyway cleared him in this case. And we're sitting here these all these years later with an unsolved homicide on our hands. And then his girlfriend, Jane Austen, told the news that she might be the last person to have seen Nevaeh, which she said she spotted the little girl from her balcony. So I got to kind of break this down a little bit because this part's a little confusing. So I'm confused. Yeah. One, this, this dirt bag has a girlfriend. Yeah. All three of these dirt bags apparently didn't have trouble getting girlfriends as for, for at some period of time anyway. But so this Easter guy lives in a trailer by himself. Now the girlfriend, Janie Austin, I think I mispronounced her name earlier is Jane Austen, but Janie Austin, from my understanding, lives in the apartment complex or close to the Charlotte Arms apartment complex where Nevaeh went missing from. Because she's saying from my balcony, I believe I was one of the last people to see Nevaeh before she was abducted. So when we say this guy was hanging around the apartment complex, he, he very likely could have been hanging around the apartment complex because his girlfriend lived there. Yeah, because like you said, the first two suspects that we the, we brought up had a connection to Nevaeh, had a connection to her family, right? So that would give them reason to be on that property. But this shit stain, you, you got to go, well, did, did he actually follow them home from Kmart? Or... Was he just going to his girlfriend's house? Yeah, it's it's very weird stuff. So what her statement is to the news is that she says that she was out on her balcony in the evening time. She sees the little girl on her scooter, you know, riding around like she like most of the neighbors would expect to see. And then this woman says that at some point she went inside to prepare dinner. And she believes that it was during that time period that she was inside preparing dinner, that the abduction took place because when she goes back out to her balcony, she sees the scooter abandoned where it was later found by the mother. Yeah. And like you said, uh, roughly about 180 units. It's really surprising that nobody saw anything. We have a lot of stuff that I want to get to captain. So I think that we can, I included a lot of things in my notes about how the public did not care for Jennifer, how the public really 
was very suspicious of her. I don't know how much detail we need to go into that aspect of the case. I think there's so many obvious reasons why people would not like Jennifer in this case, would not trust the mother, may even suspect the mother of some wrongdoing. The the problem, though, with Jennifer being your prime suspect in this case, in my opinion, is Jennifer did not have her own transportation. Jennifer also is reportedly actively looking for her daughter at the time that she goes missing, or at least roughly at the time that she goes missing. Right. It, her story would be even more believable if Sherry, her mother, would have been home. I can trust Sherry, I think. I can't trust Jennifer. But at the at the very least, we have another witness saying that, look, Nevaeh was alive and well at 3.30 or 3.45 when her mother came to my house and the two of them walked to Kmart. Jennifer's saying they walked back home. They were doing their own thing. Jennifer's hanging out in the apartment. Nevaeh eventually goes out to play. We also have this witness of saying, I saw the girl zipping around on her scooter, went in to prepare dinner and came back and the scooter was abandoned. Right. So the problem with Jennifer being your prime suspect, I'm not saying she has no involvement at all or may not know more than she's letting on. What I'm saying is she could not have done something to her daughter and disposed of her daughter. She just didn't have the means. She didn't have transportation. One, she would have had to have, have some kind of help is what I'm getting at here. As much as I dislike Jennifer, yeah, but give Jennifer a second chance. Everybody deserves a second chance. And I know there was a lot of local rumor, especially back in 2009 and 2010, that she knows more. I just, I see better suspects here. Yeah, I don't think she's a good person. Right. I don't think she did. At least not smart. <laughs> she's not smart. <laughs> not and smart well, at and, all. And also she's not, she was selfish. She wanted a relationship. She wanted companionship. And she took that over the safety of her child. And and that is horrible. And she's going to have to live with that the rest of her life. We have to remember if she's not responsible, that she also is a victim here. And I know a lot of people don't like polygraphs. They don't care for them. They don't put any weight in them. We're not putting any weight in them either. But when it's part of the story, we report it. It's part of the story. I'm putting so, a lot of weight. Well, here we From have now on. Jennifer who openly tells the news that she was told that she failed a polygraph exam as well. So th those things are always a little weird to me, right? You you might be more, some people may be more inclined to be suspicious of an individual who failed a polygraph, but I also find it odd that a person that let's say we have a guilty party and the world doesn't know 100% that this person's guilty. If I were guilty of something, I don't think I would openly be telling the news. Like, you know, I was told I failed a polygraph test, right? Um, failed parts. Yes. And, but yet we have several people who reported that they they either failed the polygraph test or were at least told by law enforcement that they failed, which can be a tactic uh, on its own. So what is unclear is if Jennifer has ever officially been cleared by police. There are some news articles out there that say that she is not and has never been a suspect. But again, it's unclear if she was ever officially cleared 
by the police. And then this is totally weird because you're totally weird. Examining this case. Yeah. My first thoughts are George Kennedy borrowing the van or swapping out vehicles with Roy Smith. George Kennedy's my, my favorite suspect at this point in our timeline. Roy is a close second. Maybe the two of them did it together. Maybe they're in cahoots somehow, but we have to pivot off of that captain because pivot after a few months, pivot a few months after Neve's Nevea's murder, believe it or not, police announced that Roy Smith and George Kennedy were no longer persons of interest in this case. And that's a shocker. It's a, it's a complete shocker, but it's true. We have a detective on record saying, quote, we are looking in a different direction in recent months based on our investigation. We are following up on leads and investigating new information every day. So what happened here is a little unclear, but it sounds like they must have moved on to a different suspect. Now, again, we still have that, that Easter fella who is not mentioned as no longer being a person of interest, but shockingly enough, police come out and say, this guy, these two guys, Kennedy and Smith are no longer persons of interest in Nevaeh's murder. Now on the first anniversary of Nevaeh's murder, the task force that was put together had disbanded, but police said that they were still very actively investigating the case. Authorities said that they had called on experts from around the country to weigh in and give their insights and that they were leaving no stone unturned. In August of 2009, the reward for information in Nevaeh's case increased to $20,000. And by the end of 2010, this amount increased to $50,000. So there's a lot of people out there hoping for some information to come forward in this case. The special agent in charge of the FBI's Detroit Bureau, who oversaw the federal agency's role in this investigation, is on record saying that there was no shortage of suspects in this case, but sometimes there are too many, and that what they needed was one good one that they could actually connect to the victim, connect to the case. Well, that's a problem is when you start interviewing the family and you realize, well, look, the mom is a little bit of a scumbag herself. And so she's going to have scumbag associates and, and you're going to have to start there. And I think that could hinder the case because well, every turn you make, she's connected to these guys with a, that are sexual offenders that have criminal histories And so if you're law enforcement, you're like, oh, this is going to be easy because we're just going to do this pervert roundup of of all the guys she knows and we'll get the killer. But to me, these cases tend to lean towards stranger on stranger. In 2012, this case is back in the headlines, and this is because the police are giving us a little insight into their investigation. In 2012, they say that they are closer to an arrest in the kidnapping and murder of Nevaeh Buchanan. This is directly from the county sheriff, Crutchfield, who we've talked about several times during our discussion of this case. 
He says, quote, investigators have an eye on a person or persons and have significantly narrowed their focus. But he goes on to say that the public is not in danger. This is a very interesting statement to me. And I know that we try to read a lot into these statements, but you have to. You have to read between the lines when they're holding back so much information. So if we've cleared two guys that look good, Kennedy and Smith, Easter is still out there walking around on the streets. And the sheriff says that there's no danger to the public. And they got somebody in their crosshairs, somebody that they like. Right. You start to wonder, well, does that mean that they're the suspect that they're looking at is dead or locked up? Yeah, because as they're going through these suspects, like we've seen with the first couple probation violations, and with those probation violations, we're able to arrest them and, like you said, provokes some of the privileges and they and having them to serve the the remain the remainder of their sentence. When they say, "Hey, we don't think that the." public's in danger again probably leans towards incarceration all right now this next part i'm going to have to go through every piece of this statement because it's it's very interesting and it helps to clear some things up in this case and gives valuable insights into their investigation this is in 2014 and it sounds like again they are reminding the public hey we got a suspect that we kind of like here And it's from a Monroe News article, and it reads as follows. Despite widespread public opinion that stated otherwise, police have long ago said Jennifer Nevaeh's mother had nothing to do with the crime. The family still lives in Monroe, but has moved from Charlotte Arms, where they lived where Nevaeh was kidnapped. Nevaeh's grandmother, Sherry Buchanan, remains frustrated that no arrest has been made. She said she is considering seeking legal advice because she's not sure what else can be done at this point. Quote, I want answers, Ms. Buchanan said. It's been too long. Police investigating the case still don't have much to say on the record. The current Monroe County Sheriff, this is Dale Malone, said nothing more than stating it remains an ongoing case, but several of those who have been close to the investigation have said over the years that they are certain they know who did it. The suspect is not any of the men who were identified at the time as persons of interest. Those men were strong candidates because of their backgrounds, which included sexual assault and accosting children, and because they had befriended Jennifer. But they didn't do it, investigators said. Retired Sheriff Tillman Crutchfield, who oversaw the investigation that included about 100 individuals, agreed that police were close to making an arrest but just couldn't develop enough solid evidence to seek a warrant and pursue a trial. Quote, we are very close to making an arrest. We know who the person is. I believe we have the right person targeted. We had nothing that pointed to the mother, end quote. The man many police believe is responsible remains in prison on unrelated convictions and is not going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, he is facing additional felony charges for reportedly trying to kill a fellow inmate. This dude's locked up, going to be locked up for a very long time. This kid's a monster. Continuing with the article, they say the killer police said acted impulsively without any planning. He reportedly saw an opportunity and took it. Apparently, if what some police officers believe is true, 
It was a classic yet rare case of stranger abduction, end quote. So that's a very interesting article that shows that they moved on to a completely different suspect. Well, it's pretty crazy because there are so many creepos in this area, and it's sad, and uh, we need to protect the children a lot better than we are. Yeah, it's it's difficult because in these investigations, you want a suspect as an investigator. You probably want a couple suspects, but you don't want dozens of suspects. It it, it complicates the case. So uh, have we figured anything out about this unnamed, unnamed perpetrator? Well, what we do know from that article and other articles, this individual is in prison on totally unrelated charges for the next decade, if not longer. The Monroe News reports that the suspect was born and raised in Monroe. He is now in his 30s and is a convicted wife beater. He is in prison on felony charges for repeated domestic assaults, some of these on a pregnant person. According to court reports, he was a problem teen who was suspended from school, had bad grades, and fought with his family. And this part is really interesting to me here, Captain. It says he was interviewed at length during the original investigation, but did not confess and was not named, not named publicly. Most of the investigators are sure it was him. So he was somebody that was on their radar, not at the top of their list, but at least on their radar at the very initial stages of this investigation. Well, this case is difficult because you want resolve. And it sounds like law enforcement is saying, we have resolve. It's just going to take a little more time. The guy's in jail, so don't have to worry about that. And we're going to get more information on him, and eventually we'll have charges against him. That's what it seems like to me, but it doesn't seem as satisfying as, as you know, hanging the guy up in the middle of town square. Right. You want this guy to be named publicly. I think that they probably won't do so because they are working, still working to try to build a case against this individual. But based off of their statements, off of law enforcement statements to the public and to the news, it sounds like they really believe that this is the guy, that they have narrowed it down through or narrowed it down to this guy. And what's so interesting to me about that and what I think presents a strong argument that they have the guy in their crosshairs, have the right guy targeted here in their investigation, is that look at how good these other persons of interest looked. Look at how good they, what we were calling suspects, looked in this case, and they've been able to move on from those people to land on him somebody that was part of the initial investigation, somebody that was on their radar early, which oftentimes in these cases, and even sometimes in stranger abduction cases, the person responsible is on the radar early on in the case. Yeah. And so this is a very powerful and a very interesting suspect to me. Now, May of this last year, Sadly, was the 13th anniversary of Nevaeh's death, of her murder. And there was an article that came out at that time that said that 
throughout the years, the sheriff's office and the early stages of the investigation, which involved the task force, followed up on over 2,000 leads by the 13th anniversary. And then the following month in June of 2022, you know, a considerable amount of time has passed. So, of course, they have a new sheriff by now. But the current sheriff in charge provided a statement to ABC 13 News and said, the investigation is sometimes referred to as a cold case. This investigation has never been closed, nor has it ever been reduced to a cold case. Rather, this investigation is very much active, and as long as Sheriff Goodnow is leading this organization, solving this heinous crime will always be among the highest of priorities. So many thoughts and so many ideas about this case. If you have thoughts and opinions, go to truecrimegarage.com and leave those on the blog. Colonel, do we have a recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, we are recommending Love, Bombs, and Molesters, an FBI agent's journey by the great Kenneth Lanning. Here's a quote from friend of the show, the great John Douglas says, Ken Lanning was one of the best instructors the FBI Behavioral Science Unit ever had, and he went on to become one of the leading experts in the country on the behavioral analysis of crimes against children. This is the story. This book is the story of his life leading up to his assignment at the BSU and how he developed his expertise and inspired others during his 20-year career. Make sure you check out Love, Bombs, and Molesters, an FBI Agent's Journey by the great Kenneth Lanning. You can find that title and many more on our website's recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. If you're not following us on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, check us out at True Crime Garage. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.